0: There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years, legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime
1: Podcast checks in
0: with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans, welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. There are so many great players who played the great game of hockey over the past few decades. Players who made an impact not only on their teammates and fans, but on the sport of hockey itself. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast it takes great pride in catching up with some of these players, sharing their stories, and finding out what they're up to today. On this week's show, we're joined... By a former number one NHL entry draft pick who played 21 seasons in the league, became the Dallas Stars captain and then became the all-time goal and points leader of American-born players in NHL history, Stanley Cup champion, Hockey Hall of Fame inductee, widely regarded as one of the greatest U.S.-born players to ever lace on skates in the NHL. We're talking about Mike Medano. Mike, great to see you. It's going to be great to
1: catch up with you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Gino. Nice uh, nice intro, appreciate it.
2: Here are a couple of hot tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7 Now delivery app and 7 Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering Wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty-nine, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two-liter Coke or Pepsi for two dollars. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. Does it ever just strike you sometimes and go,
0: yeah, I did that and I did that too. I, I know you're a Stanley Cup champion and a hockey Hall of Famer, but do you ever think about the kind of impact you've had on the game of hockey in the United States?
1: Yeah, I think there was just kind of that perfect storm kind of swelling when we went to Dallas in 93 and and Wayne made his way out to L.A. And then there was that, uh, you know, the the expansion of San Jose and then you had Anaheim, um, you know the the two teams of Florida and Nashville ourselves, you know. So there's this uh you know group of uh cities that uh didn't have obviously a lot of hockey and didn't know much about the game. And and then uh you know these these organizations are thrust upon their city and then a little bit over time those those organizations have turned into quite the powerhouses and had some Stanley Cup victories and gone on to some 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 great years. So I think with that it kind of It's always been something, I think, hockey where kids follow their local sports teams. And, and, uh, you know, when they see, you know, uh, they go to watch hockey games and they see these guys and then they want to go do it. You know, so I think that with that influx of those cities that generally started kids playing hockey. And then you have a little bit more of some growth and and you kind of see where we're at today. But, Mike, a major shift, though. I mean, when you grew up playing hockey in the U.S.,
0: you had to go a long way to find places to play. If you had quite frankly, if you were playing today, you'd be in the national development program. You'd mm-hmm. be somewhere near Michigan, closer to your home. Your family would be able to be around you. Be all like, that's the kind of development you have in American hockey now, but it wasn't like that. Then it was, I mean, you had to go to Prince Albert as a 15 year old in order to get your hockey development. It's a, that's a dramatic
1: shift. It has been, it has been. And, and, uh, Yeah, there's tons more options for kids. Uh, Obviously, you said the Development League, the USHL, you know, these places that kids can go where they don't have to make this ultimate major decision whether to go to major, junior, or college. They have some buffer years there to kind of make some decisions. Think about it a little bit more. I didn't really have much time. Uh, It was either go to Prince Albert or stay in Detroit for two more years with Little Caesars in the midget program, so Um, You know, we couldn't get recruited till 18. So you had those three years where you're just kind of sitting, you know, idle for a while. So um, they certainly have more options for kids now that uh, so there's not that stagnant point where you can still kind of, I guess, uh, get the competition, improve your game and get ready for the next stage. But uh, I mean, yeah, looking back at it, I just I just can't believe I ended up in Prince Albert. I was like, you know, there's a thousand other places I would have thought first before PA. What was that like on you and your family to make that call to decide? Yeah, OK, it was, we'll do this. It was tough because it was a last minute deal. Uh, you know, I had already committed to the Quebec Major Junior League. I was going to go to Hull because I just yeah. had followed Pat LaFontaine. I was behind Jimmy Carson. All these guys went to Laval and Verdun. And they came back and like, God, it's such a fun league. It's offensive. You'll just love it. It's just, uh, you know, up and down hockey. So I was like, God, you know, it sounds great. You know, so there was a last minute shift in, in Hull's decision as far as far as the drafts concerned. So I was kind of left, uh, out of that. So two weeks later, Rick Wilson called me and just said, Hey, we'd love to have you just come up for the weekend, see the town. I'll take you around. You know, that took five minutes, but, uh, (laughs) You know, ultimately I just fell in love with the place. I ended up staying my summers up there and, you know, yeah. it just became a great, uh, great community. I, I think it, 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 uh, it made me appreciate the game of hockey, just seeing the response that Canadians have for the game and a small town, Canadian town like PA and, and their response to, I mean, hockey's their life up there. So it, it gave me a whole different appreciation for the game. I'll tell
0: you what you did when I was a, as a broadcaster watching you come up in the game and, and doing the stuff you did, the thing that always stuck out to me, and you scored a lot of goals. You had a lot of points, but it was your freaking speed. It was insane. I remember Billy Guerin once said, I don't know if Mike actually does something about cutting his jerseys in a special <laughs> way. Cause he always looks like he's wearing a Cape out there. Like he <laughs> must be doing something. Where, where did that speed come from? Like, was that just, were you like just a fast runner who then became a fast skater
1: or did you just work your butt off to make that happen? What's funny is I'm a terrible sprinter on the track. I'm like, I would run all summer long. That and makes
0: no sense, of, Mike.
1: We do a lot of wind sprints, but this linear movement here, I'm just can't, I can't pump the legs quick enough. But as soon as they start going out this way, you kind of implement a few more different muscles than just the, uh, you know, the hamstring and hip flexors. So I, I don't know really know what it was, but I was a real choppy kind of wide stride guy when I was in uh, Bantams in my first year of uh, pretty close to midget and took a uh, speed skating or power skating in the summer. And this, this lady kind of taught me how to bring my stride in to kind of really pull it in and then do this number as opposed to this. this. So I was like able to learn how to get there. And then you know, I went to uh, I don't know if it had anything to do with it, but I went to the Canada Cup 91 in, in Pittsburgh and Stevie Latin, who is the equipment guy there for years with Mario and them. And when Paul was there, coffee, uh, he's like, ah, you, kn- you need to try this hollow and this radius on your on your blade. You know, it's a lot less friction. You get some glide when you're on the snow and. And so, you know, I was a kind of a half inch hollow. It was real deep, like normal, I guess, on average. So he put an inch hollow. And so it, was, it felt like these skates came right out of the box with no edge. And I was like, God, you know, coffee skates on those type of skates. I go, I go, I feel like I can't, I can't get my toe dug in. And oh, he did a lot of weird things, man. He also wore skates that were like five sizes. Too. Oh, I know. His feet were like, his toes were jammed in here. I was like, yeah. you know, he, he was a freak of nature, but after a few days, I was like, God, I really loved it. And I don't know, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but you know, the, the, just the whole training aspect of it, what I did in the summer, just to try to get, you know, uh, that, that fluent stride where it's just the the timing's good on the push. And, but I was always one, I could get my speed going as I crossed over. So if I could cross over and get going, then I could kind of straighten it out. But, uh, it know, worked for you, man at one but at, 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 you know, at, if it's a particular time, I, I really don't know. But after a few years of pro, I was like, man, I, I gotta I gotta do a lot of leg stuff. I gotta do a lot <laughs> of uh sprints, some stuff with parachutes, weighted vests, yeah. some plyometrics, that sort of thing. That guy is still tuned to today. That that uh I think in the long run helped me out a little bit. No kidding, it helped you out in conversation with
0: hockey hall of Famer, Stanley Cup champion Mike Medano. This is the 7 Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm Gino Retta So you rip it up you you go to the dub 118 goals almost 300 points in 176 games of the dub obviously you draw a lot of attention um you you become just the second us born player ever drafted first overall in the nhl what was that like to hear your name going first overall
1: um it was exciting i think we you know obviously the the ability to track people around the country and and other leagues to, to, to today, we didn't really have much of it. I had the Prince Albert Herald and I'd open it up and I'm like, Oh, you know, medicine hats doing well. Trevor's doing great. He's, you know, really doing well decisions down in Saskatoon. He's kind of right there. And, and, you know, we're all kind of vying for this, uh, you know, these top three spots at the time And we had just come back from the world juniors in Russia. So the, the scouting list came out. And so, you know, it was it was the three of us, which was kind of neat from the WHL. So um, so then from that point on till June, there was really like this inner rivalry between Prince Albert, Medicine Hat, Saskatoon Blade. So, you know, I think guys on our teams knew that, you know, we were kind of in the running. So I think there was a little bit of extra effort on a lot of yeah. guys on our teams to kind of make sure that to feed you that uh, we can make this hopefully uh, a team effort and get, uh, get the top pick for, for me. But uh, yeah, it was just a a memorable moment. You know, nowadays, you know, who's going number one. So I think it loses a little bit of that, you know, excitement knowing who's he going to pick at the podium and Lou Nanny really didn't, he knew who he was taking, but Trevor, myself, Curtis, I think we were all kind of left in the dark. He wanted to, to his, uh, to to, to Louie's credit, I think he wanted to make it a surprise and he certainly did the stuff he did in the game. Uh, I mean,
0: it, I mean, you got to see him firsthand, but the stuff he did for the, the U S game is incredible. I, I think it was last year. I was at a board of governor's meetings and he was being recognized for his contributions to U S hockey. It, it's crazy. And what you did as well for U S hockey, and we'll get back to that in a couple of minutes, but I, I want to get to your rookie season in the NHL. And I'm telling you, I was sour. And if I was sour, you had to be really sour. You come in there as an 18 year old, (laughs) you rip up the league. And there's a guy who I think had five children. I think he might've had a son your age, which is an exaggeration. (laughs) Sergey Makarov, who was 31. For those who don't know, Makarov came over and played in the NHL after playing, I think 12 years as a pro in Europe. Um, And he comes in as a rookie, like back in the day where we allowed that to be a case. How, how, how pissed were you about the fact that you're going for an HL rookie of the year competing with a guy who's 31 years old? Um,
1: you know, I, I still think about it to this day. I don't blame you. Know, you. That was brutal. It was one of those scenarios. Like I was like of all the times <laughs> Makarov could have came over and played. He comes over my rookie year and, uh, you know, and had the year that he had in Calgary. And they had quite a team, too. You know, they had a yeah. phenomenal team, the Flames. But, you know, I think my name will always be written to the Calder Trophy that I was the one that Gary caused to change the rule. Yeah, they the had to game. change the NHL rule. That tells you how bad it was. They should backdate it and say, <laughs> hey, it was a mistake. We'll fix this. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Take that back after 30 years. That would be nice, Gary. But, uh, yeah, it's still like, oh, you know, because you see these young guys and you see Macar and, you know, uh cider and you're like, man, I was like, that, that collar should have been, uh, should have been mine. It
0: but. should have been. Absolutely. It should have been no doubt about it. So now you're playing for the Dallas stars and you're playing for another hockey hall of famer, Bob Ganey, who, mm-hmm. so you're an offensive minded machine playing for himself and Jacques Lemaire and a couple, of other guys who may be considered the all-time most defensive-minded coaches in NHL history. What was that like to try to fit into that system?
1: Um it was it was it took a while. I, I I didn't realize there there was that much structure to defense and offense in the NHL. I just wanted, you know, I just felt like from Prince Albert into Minnesota, it's just gonna flow. It's gonna be this kind of gradual you know, uh, flow into the NHL and you'll just pick up where you left off in Prince Albert, but there's growing periods and growing pains and guys are bigger, faster. The goalies are much better. Um, So there was this, but you uh, weren't allowed to do what you, what you did best. Like they drafted you for a
0: reason because there's something you could do. And then all of a sudden said, yeah, we drafted you for that. But listen, do you mind
1: adjusting to this? That made no sense. So there, there was about, it took, man, I mean, Bob got there my second year. We went to the finals that second year in Minnesota. But uh, it probably wasn't for another four or five years until probably between, you know, uh, Doug Jarvis, Rick Wilson, Bob Ganey, uh, Ken Hitchcock, you know, all these guys. Was that the
0: shift? Here. Was Hitch the, the shift? Because when Hitch took over, all of a sudden you went from, I don't know, playing like 18 minutes a game to 25 minutes a game. Was yeah, that he the got shift?
1: There, he got in there in 96 because I hadn't killed a penalty till then. Yeah. You know, so now he's like, Okay, you and Yuri Lettnin are gonna pair off, you're gonna kill penalties. We need you to be better at face-offs because we want to put you in different scenarios uh late in the game and periods, and um you know, so there was a little bit more responsibility that came with it. Um, but I think killing penalties kind of gave me the the best idea of how to play defense in your own zone because you have to really
2: a lot of stop yeah, no and
1: start, you base, the puck, you're sticking the shooting lanes, the passing lanes. So that kind of, it kind of flowed into my five-on-five five hockey game. Uh, game And then, uh, um, you know, then, you know, there's no guaranteed on your results. I mean, you're, you're trusting some coaching staff and you're coaching, you're trusting Bob Gainey, who's obviously, uh, is, his history speaks for itself. And, yeah. you know, so you have to, you know, bite your lip, and though, You know, there's a there's a reason. There's a there's going to be a great outcome from this. I felt, and they felt so, and it ultimately did. I, I felt more rewarded about my game as opposed just to being offensive than I had impact on the game, face offs or killing a penalty. Those those pride things that you took uh, took pride in felt a lot better than me than scoring,
0: which makes sense. So then then with that comes success for the team. You guys end up winning back-to-back President's Trophies. And now you're in the Cup Final in 1999. You're Game 2 in the Cup Final 1999. You want to share with our audience what happened to you in that game? Uh, uh, <laughs> the injury?
1: Yeah, not much of a, you know, just an in- innocent little play. I think Warner kind of stepped up on me at, just inside our blue line or their blue line. And, you know, he just kind of got me just bent the thumb back a little bit and just kind of. Felt a little sting and kind of felt, you know, a little bit, you know, sore at the time. I went off, got some x-rays and um, we ended up winning game two late with uh, one of Holly's goals. And, uh, you know, so we we were kind of told it was broken. And so we talked about it and they're like, well, we have a day off, day and a half before our game. And Which is usually the time frame to heal a broken bone is a day, right? <laughs> Yeah. One day, yeah, yeah. good to go. 24 yeah. hours, you're good to go. So woke up the next day. I figured I'd go to the rink. We'd kind of, you know, uh, take a peek at it and kind of uh, see where we're at. And, you know, so then at that point we started experimenting our doctors showed up, we kind of gave it some numbing stuff and we try to make shift the cast to kind of protect it a little bit. And, um, so, um, that felt not bad in the, in, in practice. I was like, you know, that's, that's, it's not bad. It was my, uh, the thing was, it was my, um, top hand. So at least my bottom hand was kind of, I could, it was still free and I can maneuver it. The right hand just sits on there and and you can just, um, you can kind of adapt with that. But, um, yeah, we're like, Oh my God, I just, you know, it's the cup final. man. I'm, I'm too far for, uh, to kind of sit out for now. So we were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this. And so we, uh, we just kind of kept it numb and, and, uh, you know, it, it felt fine once, you know, the adrenaline's going and you get in the game and you're like, man, we're, we're a couple games away from winning this thing. And I was like, Oh, it's going to, it had to have been a broken leg for me to, to stay out of that game, those games. No kidding. And it didn't keep you out. Holly will be happy about that because
0: you are involved in a couple of great moments for him. Uh, game yeah. six, cup final, you're in triple OT. Walk us through what happens there.
1: Well, Holly hadn't probably had a shift up until then. He, he had blown his MCL out. So if yeah. there was a game seven, he was probably done. I yeah. think Hitch asked him if he could skate and he's like, I, I can't move. I can't do anything. I think he took a shift early in the first overtime and then just, you know, couldn't do it. And then that, that shift he scored was, I think, a second shift in, in all the overtimes. And 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 so I bug him too. That puck was in his legs too. And he just kind of turned as I was kind of trying to drag it out of his feet and, and put it over Hashik. So he 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 blocked me from my own uh my glory. I I, I would have had. So but I was two feet away from it, seeing it go in. I, I didn't care at that point who scored. I just wanted that thing over with and and be done. And and at that point, I was just like total relief and just uh, this overwhelming feeling of emotions and just knowing you've been here from the start and you went through all this to get to this point. And you know there was uh, uh, a method to the madness, and and yeah. here we are now, and we're able to uh, really. Uh, Soak it all
2: in. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large, hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2.00. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. What's
0: that like celebrating the ice, the, uh, on the ice the cup win when it's all over, it's all done, and kind of all that stuff comes into your head all at once? Is it, is it memories or are you just completely lost in the moment?
1: There's flashes of it that happened and then I still have to this day, but I, I knew there was just total exhaustion. I was just hanging on guys. I was crying like I was, you know, four years old. I was just weeping. No one knew what to say or what to do to me. Hitch is like trying to stop me, you know, console me and just trying to, you know, snap me out of it. Everybody's like, come on, control, you know, get together, get it together. I was like, I can't, it, I can't do it. So I just was just, I just lost it. And, you know, finally. Thirty minutes later, I think I kind of got came to for the team pitcher on the ice, and but yeah, it was just a uh, you know it's hard to say. I think it was just oh man, just the relief knowing that God we won it, we got through it. You know, there's no game seven. You know, and and people play their whole careers just for a chance at the finals or just a chance to win one, and and now it's it's there's this feeling of content. You know, at age twenty nine, I was like, "Man, I'm like, all, that, that's all I need. I, I'm I'm good now. I, I don't care what <laughs> happens after this point." And then, uh, you know, two months later, Hitch is you know snapping the whip at us again to go at it again. So it's there's no uh, rest for the weary. We're like right at it again.
0: I can't keep. I can't help but keep coming back to this because I think. I mean, what you did. Listen, I get a chance each and every week on the 7-Eleven podcast, the overtime podcast, to talk to legends like yourself, hockey all the famers, and guys who've accomplished first and stuff. But you were like a groundbreaker because you were doing stuff that hadn't been done before in ways that hadn't been done before from, from the perspective that you were coming from areas that had never produced players like this before, mm-hmm. which carries a burden. I mean, you end up as the all-time leader in points by an American, goals. Uh, with 561 first in playoff points by an American with 146. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. That's pre- like, how does that weigh on you when you think of that kind of responsibility that comes with that and that kind of accomplishment to go where nobody before you had gone?
1: Yeah, I think when you're in it, you really don't think too much about it. It doesn't cross your mind that uh, you know you you have these type of numbers that have come along with your. Your your career, I think you're just thankful that you've played so long. You had some great teammates, coaches. That dude, it's a lot more than longevity. There's a lot of guys who played a lot of games who didn't come close
0: to your numbers. So don't say that because I hear that sometimes. (laughs) I go, "Well, he was around forever."
1: Yeah, that's true. It's bound to happen if you're there twenty plus years. So yeah, yeah. Um, But we had some good. I had some good teammates. I have to say um, that we were together for quite a long time. Um, You know two great coaches that would put me in scenarios to uh, succeed as much as possible. So I was pretty lucky in those, in those two senses, but yeah, I think once you, when you're done and you look back, you're like, you know, you're just really amazed that, you know, one, you played that long and you know, uh, you're able to accumulate the points and the stats and the things like that and, and, and still hold those records for, Probably maybe one or two more years until they're all passed, but uh, yeah, just to know you have them for a little bit of time it was was really neat. And Chasing Housley's record was a lot of fun, yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's it's really uh, you know, I guess uh, you know, it's humbling when you think back about it. You know, it's been ten years, eleven years out of the league, and you still moments through the day, you're just like, man, you know, you're, just, you're watching games and thinking about how things used to be.
0: In conversation with Mike Medano, hockey Hall of Famer, Stanley Cup champion. This is the Seven Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm Gino Retta. Did you really get a call from a
1: U.S. president? Was that true? Was that a legit story? That's a legit story. We had just got done with San Jose. I think we stayed over that night, um, or we flew. No, we flew to we flew to uh, Phoenix. Um, we had a short flight, and our PR guys came back and said, "Hey, we you know we need you. You know, there's a call coming in the morning." You know, we just need to to take this call, and they wouldn't tell me what it was. So, um, you know, no, I think they don't that, tell you that. I know they're like, just take this phone call. Your phone starts ringing at ten a.m. Pick it up. I was like, oh, all right. so ten a.m. comes, and you know, operator on Air Force One said, "Come on, Mr. that's the first word you heard." Operator, this is the operator yeah, on Air Force One. This is the operator from Air sure Force One. Um, can we we like to patch you through to? the president Bush. And so I was like, Oh, that was, that was pretty neat. So, and then, uh, you know, being in Dallas, George lives there. I see him a lot. I see him at George. You
0: you guys are on first name. Yeah. We're
1: on first name now. Nice. So we've, we've come a long way. So we played a lot. We played a little bit of golf together in Dallas when we, uh, we both retired. And so it was, uh, certainly very cool getting a call from, uh, from the airplane.
0: Okay. Uh, Is it just me or was that the all time mic drop? Bush, uh, Bush, and I, former President Bush, and I, well, <laughs> we play a little golf together. You know, did you Understand. ever in your, in your wildest imagination think, as a little kid growing up in Michigan, that one day you'd be playing golf with a former president?
1: <laughs> <laughs> not at all, not at all.
0: It That's
1: was, uh, it, it was great. So he's, uh, he, he became a big, big, big hockey fan over the years. Uh, followed us quite a bit in Dallas. So we, we were, we we're, we we're glad to have him around so much as he was. Speaking of the U.S., you you wore the U.S.
0: colors on the ice with great pride at, I think, three world championships, two uh, World Cups. You guys won gold in one of those, and three Olympic games, including a silver in Salt Lake. Are there certain moments where you got to throw the jersey on for Team USA that stand out above the rest?
1: Probably the the two that I remember that were really good, uh, the – the gold medal game in Salt Lake against Canada, and then the game three against Canada in Montreal forum for the world cup.
0: The world cup I yeah. think
1: uh, those two games were just games that you remember being a part of that were just, just magical games. Just, you had, uh, I think the world cup probably more so cause you had every probably great player that Canada and the U S had ever had on those two rosters yeah. at times. So I mean, you, you just go through who Canada had, and we're like, we 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 had no right being in that tournament or those best of threes with them, and certainly after losing game one in Philly, then having to win two games in a row in Montreal, we were just, uh, we were um, up against a tough task, but it was quite an accomplishment. We couldn't, we still can't believe we pulled it off, and some guys had some phenomenal series, uh, nonetheless, Mike Richter and Brian Leach and those guys played phenomenal hockey for those three games but uh, and then the, the the gold medal game uh, we felt we had a good chance there and uh, you know Mario played in that one and had a really good game. Paul Korea had a great game. Um, uh, Brodeur played phenomenal so we were those those two games were some exciting games. You and I have known each other for a lot of years. I've been really fortunate
0: enough to cover your career throughout the years. There have been some moments where I go, okay, I don't understand what's going on here. The what you t- we talked about it when Ganey was handling the, you the way he was, and I didn't understand that. And um, but one of the all-time classic moments where I just go, what was he thinking? Was Mike Babcock when you ended up your career with the Red Wings? And I'm sure this is a sore spot, but I got to ask you about this because people want to hear uh, you signed a one-year deal because you wanted to finish your career with the Wings close to home. Mm. Now you're at the end of the year, you're sitting on 1499 games. Only 21 games in NHL history have played 1500. You're one game away. And Mike Babcock's got an opportunity to use you in a game where it really doesn't matter. It's a nothing game, like there's no downside to it whatsoever, and he makes you a healthy scratch. What was that like? Like that must have like I I just I mean I I'm I'm speechless, man.
1: I I think it created such a bad taste in my mouth about the game that it probably was one of those things that made me just not want to be playing anymore. I think it just took excitement, all the, uh, the years and hard work and everything that we've done to play so long and be a part of the game and improve the game, the fabric of it. You did all of that. Yeah, it just was kind of washed away in an incident instance. So I, I just had a, I I feel, I feel it was just one that that thing forced me to retire. I just, I just couldn't muster up any more motivation after that. I had gotten hurt around Thanksgiving. I had a, a laceration to my wrist, so I missed a long time of the season, but I felt up until that Thanksgiving game in Columbus that I was probably in the best shape in a long time. Chris Draper, Dan Cleary, these guys worked hard, that suit. These guys work hard so much off the ice. They train, they, they do extra. I mean, it was amazing. We'd get up early in the morning and go train at a gym, then go down to the Joe for practice. I was like, man, I was, I was by December. I, I mean, by that Thanksgiving, I'll take, I was like, everything's kind of rolling. I felt great. Really had some, some, some excitement. Then, he, then the, the injury happened. So when you're, you're laid up for 10, 12 weeks in Detroit in the middle of the winter and it gets dark at 3 PM, it kind of, can chip away at your soul. So it's a, it's a long, harsh winter. And and then I felt like I, I kind of was doing the math on the schedule. So I figured if I came back, I'd have a moment towards the end of that schedule to hit 1500. So that was really hard to swallow. And and it's still, you know, when you see those stats across the line on your, on your, uh, stat line, it's like, I mean, but then you think about, Two other lockouts. You know, we missed yeah. 120 games in there. And, but it was something that I felt could have been easily avoided. I think there was only a couple games left. I think our position in the playoffs was such that it wasn't yeah, you were done easy with a winner, too. So you guys were
0: locked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was it was a tough. It was a I appreciate, one. I appreciate you reflecting back on it because I mean, yeah. to this day, I still, it's one of the things I just don't understand. One yeah. of the things I, I completely expected, and I was fortunate enough to be there when this all happened to you was 2014 your first ballot hockey hall of famer, no brainer. Like there was, there are certain things we go, who's eligible next year. Oh, this guy's eligible next year. Well, he's in. So who else is going in? It was never, there was never any debate. What was it like when you got the call? Like you had um, to know what was coming, but now you get the call to confirm it.
1: I think part of you thinks it's, it, it, it is, it is coming, but there's always a little part of you that, you know, until you get the call officially to kind of, give you that invite into the hall that you don't really know. I think, uh, um, <clears throat> and I knew that the timing was coming that, you know, that, that early July that you get that call. And I was, yeah. I just had went past my third year being retired. So, um, seeing the four, one, six, I don't have many four, one, sixes that are, that don't have a name to it or, uh, or a journal, a media person to it, or a player, but yeah. uh, and then it was it was uh, JD. So it was a an amazing call, and and Lanny was on. And there nice with, to
0: get it from JD, given his yeah. involvement with USA Hockey.
1: Yeah, JD was great. I was I was very happy that he was able to be the guy that called me, and um. So yeah, it was that was a that was a, a one of those wow moments, and that was again where you're like, okay, on top of the Stanley Cup, this is this is total contentment. This I'm I'm very. Yeah. This is the, the, the cherry on top for sure. I should point
0: out, as, as well as your contributions to U.S. hockey, which there have been many and, you know, you're going to call from the president. Now you're golfing with the president, Mr. Big Shot. That's, that, that tells you a lot there. You also, because you chose to, not because you needed to, did a lot of charity work with at-risk kids. Mm. How did you how did you pick at-risk kids in particular? And, and what does that mean to you?
1: Um. Well, we we got it. We got paired up with a um, a charity in Dallas called Jonathan's Place, and and uh, it was a home on uh, Gaston Avenue, just outside of downtown, that housed that that housed about ten kids that were maybe newborns to ten year olds that were like just at risk at home, um, you know, taken out of a, a destructive home, physically, mentally, drug related, those sort of things. It was the only place in the metroplex that did newborns. Uh, usually social services come up and they take them somewhere else, but this, that must
0: be gut wrenching.
1: It is this, this lady started this place. And the first boy she ever took in, that was about one years old, one year old was Jonathan. So she named this place, Jonathan's place. I got to know her and got the facility and then Boone Pickens and myself got involved and we started building some cottages out in Garland, uh, uh, east of town. And then, uh, that house, I think we house now about 70 or 80 kids out there. So, That's awesome. um, it was something that just like, wow, that was, it was a unique timing of it just to meet her and meet Jonathan and that whole thing. I was like, man, it was surprised that there wasn't anything that was of bigger, um, uh, residency or something to do this sort of thing. Or, and so that was kind of a, a really a no brainer. And then we got, Issue. We got into Wounded Warriors. You know, mm-hmm. you, you see those guys come home and they don't have much. They're having a hard time making ends meet. They got kids and family, so we got involved with them. Um, and then uh, I'm a big dog guy. I think you can see mine laying there. I can
0: see your guy right behind uh, you for those watching. I, I got, on the got a couple
1: golden, so I was a big dog guy. So we we, we kind of hit all uh, avenues. So those those three were very, uh, very uh, close to the heart.
0: I know. I know you like to golf. You like to golf with former presidents. You've made that uh, pretty clear. <laughs> what What else are you doing right now? Do you want to Do you want to get back into, you know, U.S. hockey or coaching or management? Does that in, interest you at all, or are you, you
1: know, just probably, happy playing? I've kind of been slowly moving into it a little bit, and and, and I've been lucky to be with uh, the wild now for a few years and Craig Leopold. And now Billy Garen's the GM who I played with and Dean Everson, who's a coach I played with. So I've kind of slowly kind of gotten back into it, into the fold with those guys, just kind of being around, kind of seeing where I might fit in or see where I could, where I could help a little bit, but it's gotten me involved back in the game. I get to go to Minnesota a little bit, you know, see the, see the guys on the team and maybe, you know, just be, an extra set of eyes or lending some ears to some kids or whatever to, uh, to help them along. So I, I've enjoyed that part. Kind of balancing, you know, real life with kids and work is, uh, has been a lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed my time being able to do both at this time. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh coaching can't ever see that happening unless it's for my eight year old. So it's uh <laughs> it's, that's a, uh, that's a far stretch.
0: All right. Mike, it's been great catching up with you, man. I'm glad things are going so well for you. Thanks for taking the time to share all these stories with you. It's it's great reliving those moments through your eyes. My pleasure, Gino. Great seeing you too. That was Hockey Hall of Famer Stanley Cup champion Mike Medano. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh, 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven, pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app, and Team 7-Eleven will have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca, where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast.
2: Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.